0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Reya. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues.
1: This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Reya. It's business, but it's personal. In
0: color. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers, the disruptors of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Avin Raberu, founder and CEO of Housekeep, an online home cleaning platform. After spending most of his career in venture capital investing in young, growing companies and having long been excited by consumer technology companies that try and disrupt large existing markets, Avin found himself drawn to the fragmented cleaning industry. As he says, it was clear there were plenty of profitable local businesses delivering home services, but no one had seriously invested in scalable technology to lead these markets. The idea for Housekeep was born. To understand the industry issues and to get Housekeep off the ground, Avin invested £5,000 of his own money and cleaned 100 homes before, in 2014, he raised a million dollars and launched his online platform. Housekeep connects customers with vetted local cleaners and now also tradespeople across London and the southeast of England equally focused on the happiness of their workers, they aim to create stable, dependable incomes for workers by providing repeat local work. It's great to have you join us. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me. A- Avin, I mentioned at the beginning that there was life before this and before you being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and that you were an investor. In simple terms, what's it like running something rather than investing in something? Yeah, I wish I knew that before I started. Uh, that would
2: have been a useful context for me. I think... I sat on the investor side of the table. I remember entrepreneurs telling me how hard it is. And uh, it didn't really mean that much to me. I sat there on the other side of the table. You give some advice and input at board meetings. You try to make introductions or so on. I think that the most pithy way I'd sum it up, without being too sort of academic about it, is I think being an investor is intellectually challenging. You're seeing lots of different businesses, different problems. You're having to use quite a lot of mental dexterity. Running a business is difficult in a different way. It's relentless. There's always a new challenge a new help. And I'm not saying one is intellectual and the other one's relentless, but they're quite different, different beasts actually to manage. And actually a lot of my job now is not as intellectually difficult as what I used to do before, but actually there's just a lot more of it. There's a lot more kind of real people issues or, or things that you have to deal with that don't require spreadsheets or maths necessarily.
0: And looking back to the spreadsheets and the maths, and and I think you were in the world of management consultancy before you then went into, I can never say its name properly, it's a a wonderful name, it's Smedvig. That's right. Smedvig is correct, good, the Smedvig family office, the Smedvig capital vehicle. Looking back to that though and the spreadsheets and thing, did you enjoy that intellectual looking under the bonnet and asking clever questions? Absolutely, I loved it. But you stopped?
2: Well, it's good good <laughs> I'll take that as a question it is a question yeah. <laughs> um I think you know I've done that for ten years, and there was always a bit of me which was I'm using things that I've learned secondhand to to think and opine on what what should this business do next? what should these founders do next? Should we invest in this thing? Should we exit this thing and it felt like I was missing a little bit of real world experience and I guess going back a bit further, I'd always assumed that all the jobs that I would do would be training towards running my own business. And I grew up in a place where everyone in my family ran a business. I just assumed that's what people did when they when they grow up. Um, uh, turns out growing up is something you never complete or, or never finish uh, in, in retrospect. So I always thought these jobs were training. Management consulting would give me big business experience. Venture capital would give me the sort of investing early stage experience. And I was fortunate in that I love doing these jobs. And so I ended up doing it a bit... I'd almost
0: say i ended end up doing those jobs a little longer than I'd expected to, uh, rather than the other way around. He's basically been on the perfect strategic training program. If you need advice on what to do next, then listen to Avin Robert. He's, <laughs> he's my business shaper today He's the founder of Housekeep. You said, Avin, that you know, the way you grew up in the family and, and environments and all that was a, a very entrepreneurial place and you would run your own business. Once you actually got into it, and you've been running it now for eight years... The relentless part doesn't sound like it exhausts you. Does it energize you or is there, I mean, is it? You know, do you, do you run on adrenaline or do you still have time to step back and be thoughtful and be analytical and be philosophical about what you're trying to do or is it just, as you described it, purely relentless? <sighs> well,
2: I think you've got to try to make, uh, make space for that and I think there are different phases of a business. So I would say the first 18 months or so, what's now called trying to find product market fit or or in my words at the time trying to figure out you know what on earth is all this stuff that part's you're you're exploring lots of different things It's that it is actually quite regardless of what I said earlier it's quite intellectually difficult like what should we sell to whom do they want it do they can we make money doing that should we do more of it should we do this should we do that should we sell blue widgets red widgets etc that that bit's quite intellectually challenging it's it's a sort of exploration phase and that's relentless because if you don't figure it out quickly, you're going to run out of money, and then you you need to stop. In effect, the next phase was quite different, and that was we'd figured out what we were selling, who wanted it, who would who would make it for us. You know, we'd figured out the sort of pr- how to productionize this. And I say we spent probably five years heads down, actually, on a sort of execution mode, selling more and more of the same on repeat, kind of nailing down what works. And that's relentless because you're always growing. And you don't really, that bit, you know, do you step back so much or do you just do more of the same? Mostly you do more of the same. You double it, you triple it, you quadruple it. And then until you get to a point where actually that's working so well, you can afford to take a bit of time to step back again, which is where, in in our case, over the last couple of years, we've said, okay, we've we've figured out how this one vertical uh, of cleaning in one geography of London works. How do we expand that into other verticals, other geographies? Can we? Does it work? And so... I think it's relentless in that there's always, you know, either things aren't going well, so something needs to be fixed, or things are going well. And every now and then I, I remember having this sensation that I'd reached the top of the hill, thinking, God, this is a, this this kind of works. And whenever I've sat on my laurels for not very long at all, you know, a week or two, usually there's some other big big mountain to be climbed. And I think it takes a bit of experience, and maybe it takes eight years to figure out that's just what it is. There's always more, there's always more to do. And you have to figure out as a as a person how do I how do I live with that how do I manage
0: that and how do I manage my time around that. And in terms of the connection to cleaning of houses, which is an absolutely critical thing to do, and, and whether you do it yourself or whether you're lucky yeah. enough to have someone that does it for you. For you, is there a visceral connection, or was it a? There's a. There's, and you can you can be honest with me, Ivan. Yeah. Um. You know, or was there a? This is just a ridiculous situation. This market is in. There is an opportunity here to do something better. Was it the latter rather than the o- former? Almost entirely the latter.
2: Okay. Um. I, however, am a complete neat freak, much the annoyance of my
0: wife. His hair is um, perfectly in place. He's got just the right <laughs> amount of gel. His beard is just yeah. lovely and, and trimmed as well. We're looking. I feel I'm I looking just, in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, pretending. Of course, uh, uh, you, you look That's what better. I thought.
2: Yeah, <laughs> the, um, you know, and uh, uh, it, you know, my office desk is pristine, and my house has to be neat and tidy. You know, it's just how uh, how I am. So there is certainly some element of that.
0: But like I say, it was mostly uh, mostly market opportunity. Stay with me for my neat freak, Avin Ribeiro. I'm a neat freak too, so I'm totally uh, empathising with this position, love a clean desk, nothing better than that in the whole world. Um, he's the founder of Housekeep, and they're doing rather well helping scalably clean people's houses. He's coming back in a few minutes, but right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Martha Averley and Matt Robinson talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion with regards to recruitment and how employers can recruit in a
1: fair but diverse way. Khan Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today.
3: Another way to try and improve diversity is to look at having a less formulaic or rigid process when considering applicants for a role or for promotion. So, not just focusing on specific educational qualifications or attendance at certain types of universities, but focusing more on the experience that particular candidate may have or or what specific traits that you feel are going to be required for that role and see if you can determine that through the process. I think it's also important for businesses to ensure that they are collecting data in their own business about the diversity of their current workforce and then looking at ways of trying to analyze that data, you know, finding areas of the business which may be less diverse and trying to understand a bit more about why that might be. Now, there are obviously other considerations at play from a legal perspective i can't not drag it back to the law again but you know there are going to be data protection issues and you've got to make sure that you're communicating to staff that you are going to collect that data and what you're going to process it for but but it can be very helpful and then coming at it from another direction but i think ensuring that you've got really good flexible working policies and compensation strategies to ensure that you know not only do you recruit in a diverse way but that also that you can retain that talent and ensure that you still retain a diverse workforce all the way up to the top of your
1: business. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishcon Dorea. It's business, but it's personal.
0: You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, just ask it to play Jazz Shapers, and there you'll be greeted with a taster of our recent shows. But back to today's guest it's Avin Ribeiro, founder and CEO of Housekeep, an online home cleaning platform. So you described the, the different challenges at the beginning. Team is always important. You know, people talk about brilliant people. Where did you find your brilliant people? Or was it a more was it a more of a case of it took some time to find the brilliant people?
2: Yeah, I think this is a very interesting area of people. The best people that we've ever found have come through network. There've been people who have seen what we're doing or they're a they're a friend or a friend of a friend and, and they've helped us sort of get off the ground. Our first um, CTO was a wasn't it a great friend of mine, Gareth, who I was at university with. He Was the only person I knew that knew anything about software engineering. We started chatting about, hey, how, hey mate, how should I think about this problem? And that just organically led into him coming and joining us. And um, he was our CTO for the first five years. It was a huge leap forward. I think there's this sort of, and this is perhaps one of those things that uh, I used to hear on the investor side of the table, or possibly even used to say, dare I say it, on the investor side of the table, which is hire great people. Um, You know, just hire the best people you can. It's very easy to say Mm. as an investor. But what do you actually do with that when you have uh, no revenue, no customers, no funding? Um, You don't go and hire Steve Jobs because you wouldn't have anything for him to do. And um, I think it's about hiring the best people you can for the phase of the business at the time. And sometimes you need superstars in some functions, but you need people who are just good in other functions. And at other times that changes and the other function needs the superstars. And of course, over time, you want superstars across the whole business, but that's not that's not possible when you're tiny in in, in the early days. I'm a uh, Manchester boy, which means I support the uh, only important football club, Arsenal. <laughs> uh, they're they're red, but um, uh, <laughs> the thing that's remarkable, of course, about Sir Alex Ferguson mm-hmm. is the way he rebuilt teams over time, and very few managers would be able to do that. And I think your job as a, a founder, if you're going to make it from founder to CEO is to be able to do that, to reinvent your team for for the external circumstances, for you know the size of the business, and have the right horses for the right courses. And I actually think it's quite rare that founders make it to CEOs 10, 20 years later, and likewise that the teams
0: make it through that whole journey. Uh, and it's only a few exceptional people that can do that. I think the point about the phases is excellent and well made. How do you know where you are though? I mean, you know, you can look as the investor because it's quite yeah. easy every three months, yeah. six months, or even every once a week yeah. you're having a conversation. When you're in the thick of it, how do you yeah. know that? Ah, oh, hold on a minute. I'm three months away or six months away from phase two, which is I've done my MVP, my minimum viable product. Yeah. I'm over here now. I mean, that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I mean certainly for us, uh,
2: most of it's been done in the rearview mirror of hey this thing's been broken for a long time, what's going wrong, we can't figure it out. Uh, you know, so that's that's the honest answer. In the early days you learn by getting things wrong and you you know, you either figure out how to fix them or or you don't. I think as the business gets more mature and you start getting more senior people in, you start changing your time horizons from let, how do we how do we grow the business ten percent this week? To how do we grow the business ten percent this month? To how do we grow the business twenty thirty forty percent this year? And you, you extend your time horizons, the business time horizons, you can start to look forward and, and anticipate and say, well, actually, at the moment we're fifty people, we think we'll be a hundred people by this time next year. Does it make sense to have the same management structure? Who would we we be missing? And you can start to plan. Uh, but honestly, in the early days, it happens, mostly in the rear-view mirror, because uh, you figure out something's not working and, and trying to solve
0: it. Make sure you've got good rear-view mirrors, then, if you're thinking about yeah. doing your own thing, or indeed in the middle of it. Um, you were talking before about phases and rear-view mirrors and Sir Alex Ferguson. So mm-hmm. the kind of leader you are, I've been, what is it? You seem, at first blush, calm. You seem considered. You're obviously, you know, you enjoy intellectual stimulation. That much is clear you PPE degree at Oxford. You've got lots of ticks in lots of boxes. When the rubber hits the road, though, and stuff's going wrong and stuff's going right, mm-hmm. what are you like with your team?
2: Well, I think they might tell you I've mellowed a bit over over time. I think you know why am I why am I doing this? Why do this rather than something else? I like solving problems. You know, whether it's make a piece of furniture or build a business or, or you know, I like puzzles and problem solving, and I'd, I'd, I'd put this all in that category and. I kind of enjoy the intellectual stimulation of solving difficult problems. I think the reason that we've succeeded in a field where lots of people have tried to put technology into home services, but they've not been particularly successful with it, is we've gone a level deeper to solve the kind of deeper, more difficult problems of what do users really want, what Mm. should our technology really do, or or whatever that that, that might be. I think what does that mean for how I am around my team and and expectations that I might have for myself. is I think I have quite high standards on, is this important? Is it good? Is it going to make a big difference? I expect people to do things right, do it the right way. I can sort of remember being told maybe a few times more than I'd I'd care to admit by, you know, my dad, if you're going to do a job, do it properly. And then I think the rest of it, you know, I'm, I'm not a particularly experienced people manager. The rest of it comes from... I kind of feel like if I'm honest with people, if I'm open with people, if I tell them directly, this is good, this is not so good, that goes quite a long way. And I'm not sure beyond that, I have many of the dark arts of sort of management or Mm. or so on. I think, you know, just being honest and and clear with
0: people gets you quite quite far. And is it right for you not to have a boss? because often people say i'm you know I'm yeah. unemployable i'm unmanageable actually for you i look back at your yeah, your track record and you're like you seem to rub along quite nicely with people that doesn't seem to be the, the driver of your desire to run your own thing
2: i don't know if i could quite literally have a boss again you know but i i could imagine i could certainly imagine doing it in partnership with other people whereas you know here as a sole founder that you know adds a lot of a lot of reward and a lot of uh, challenge to it as well but I can, I, I'm not sure if I could, uh, yeah, quite report it to anyone ever again. I'm not quite sure I have that in
0: me. Ever. <laughs> Stay with me for my final conversation with Evan Riberio, who's my business shaper today, as you've been hearing, I hope. And we've got some great music from Robert Glasper off his most recent album, Black Radio 3. That's all coming up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.
0: I'm having as my business shaper just for a little bit longer. You got an MBE this year. That's nice. Congratulations. Thank you. You're doing good things in the business. The business is growing. You're um, looking at, I think, saving thousands of tons of CO2 by allocating workers according to where their customers are. In other words, the nearer mm. the better. Yeah. These are all good things. You said earlier, you know, the moment I sit back on my laurels and think it's all good is the time when it all goes wrong. Does that mean you're in a constant state of... I'm never quite happy, or do you find the space to be a little bit happy?
2: <laughs> I, um, there was definitely a time <laughs> where that was the case, <laughs> uh, where um, you know, the numbers would go up and I'd say, well, how do they go up more? I think amongst, uh, you know, we were just talking earlier about transformational events, having children I think changed that a little bit, changed the pace of what, what you want to and what you can achieve. I think I'm able to. Um, I'm able to do a little bit, not a huge amount. A little bit of appreciating what we've built so far. We've put you know fifty to hundred million pounds in the pockets of cleaners. You know that's a good thing to have achieved. And so I'm able to appreciate some of that. I'm also able to want more. Wonder you know how do we make that five hundred million pounds? How do we make it five billion pounds? Mm. So I've it's a little bit of both. And I've, I've got better at managing myself. So. Honestly, left to my own devices, the most effective way and the way I'd love to work is to work 20 hours a day, continuously, with no breaks. That would be my most efficient way of working. However, there are are various reasons I shouldn't do that. And I've got good at taking micro breaks, to say I'm going to take an hour out of the day to do something, but also macro breaks make a big difference to me. So taking a big holiday, turning off email on my phone, turning off chat on my phone, making sure I'm checked out, and... You know, they do make you much more efficient when you come back so you can really see the wood from the trees and kind of focus on the big things.
0: And do you think that's just an age thing or is that, is that correlated to the experience you've now had of eight years being in there running your own business? I, I'm sure it's a bit of
2: both. I think when you get, perhaps it's due with age, but I think when you get sort of five or, or, or six years in, you have to ask yourself, do I want to do this for another five years, another 10 years,
0: another 20 years? What might that look like? Evan, do you want to do this for another 5, 10, 20 years? And what might that look like? <laughs> well, yeah, it's good. yeah. I wish I knew the answer. Where, where are you today yeah. on
2: that? I think where I am today is so long as I can keep changing the goalposts, so long as I can keep building something bigger, more meaningful, more challenging in different ways. You don't want to solve the same, same problem on repeat. As long as you're solving new challenges and learning, I feel like I could do it indefinitely. And and so, so probably around that five-year mark was me saying to myself, okay, I, I'm up for doing this for another five years, but what does that need to look like? And that involves not working 20-hour days continuously. That involves taking breaks. That involves moving up, looking forward, trying to build something bigger rather than solving problems in the rearview mirror and anticipating them instead. And I'm sure in two, three years' time, there'll be another piece where I say, okay, if I want to do this for another five years, what does that need to look
0: like? And I'm sure, like I say, the goalposts would change again at that stage. Good luck moving those goalposts. <laughs> have you. fun. It's been really lovely talking to you. I've really enjoyed your considered approach to life, whether it's for real or <laughs> in this moment in time you're just managing no, to hold so, the line. It does yeah. seem for real. Of yeah. course, you know, I'm joking. Just before I let you disappear, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it?
2: So my, my song choice was an easy one. It's "Freddie Freeloader by, by Miles Davis from Kind of Blue. And uh, I think it might be the first jazz track that I ever heard. It was quite late in my life. It was at university, and you know sometimes there are pieces of music that sort of blow your mind, and you think, "What is this thing? I've never, I've never heard this thing before. What, what, what is this? I want more of it." And 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 that that track was was that to me at that time.
0: That was Freddie Freeloader from Miles Davis. The song choice of my business shaper today, Avin Ribeiro. He talked about the relentless nature of being an entrepreneur and how you have to really enjoy that. He talked about the fact he's found his best people through the networks that his team are connected to. The importance of understanding phases was another thing that Avin said, which I really like. You've got to know where you are and build a team accordingly. And finally, from his own point of view to manage his own sanity, micro breaks as well as macro breaks. I love the idea of both of those. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.